and welcome to the Serpent Temple podcast. This week we're doing a weekly review. We're going to be reviewing free albums. The first will be Friends of Hell releasing their debut album, Friends of Hell. Then we are going to be doing Slate. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Um, and their album Goddess released also this year. And then Meshuggah Immutable released merely a week ago. Yeah, yeah, but a week, a week and one day ago. A week and a day ago. Right. Um, so what do you think of Friends of Hell, Floyd? I, Friends of Hell, the album Friends of Hell by the band Friends of Hell, featuring the song Friends of Hell. As Indeed, well. yes. Went for the trifecta. Uh-huh. No, this is interesting. Doom and Stoner isn't something that's generally my wheelhouse. But um, go have a little bit of background on the band. So this is the new project of Albert Witchfinder, who is the vocalist of the legendary band uh, Reverend Bazaar. Indeed. Who um, still never listened to Reverend Bazaar. I'll get around to it at some point. They're good. But I will check them out. Yeah, so he is performing vocals. Uh, you've got uh, Taz on drums, who is a former Electric Wizard bassist. Indeed. Based on the album Black Masses, I believe. Good album. Uh, Tanelli Java on bass and just the name John Dix on guitars. Um, but yeah, overall, I enjoyed this album. How does this, in your opinion, stack up to other kind of Doom releases? Because you are far more well-versed <laughs> in the subgenre than I am. Um, I guess to, my Doom is, is uh, as death metal as to you, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I love both. Yeah, this is a great album. It's really, it's really cool to hear an album like this coming out, um, coming out like now like 2021 2022 it's really dirty and heavy and it's got like modern-esque production but it still has that old school vibe which i really like i do love a good blast of like very old doom which is quite rare now a lot of doom is like more hybridized like the doom we play in lowen um and then like most doom is like more bluesy stony american influenced from like sleep and Acid King and things like that, whereas this is like proper old school British doom. Yeah, this is like proper like sort of like pentagram, candle mass, like yeah, sort yeah. of cathedral style. Huge cathedral influence, and it has been released on Rice Above Records. Of course, which Lee Dorian's label. Lee Dorian's yeah, label. Yeah. They've got a free album deal, so uh, obviously Lee Dorian really believes in this, and rightly so. Um, also, John Dix or John D, I don't really know the best way I apologize is an amazing artist. He's an incredible tattoo artist. He did the uh, shirt design that we had last oh, year. Oh, no way. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Th- that he's just really bloody talented. Um, so yeah, it's like a really, it's really cool that this is kind of a super group to me because like Taz, I remember seeing Taz when I first saw Electric Wizard play live. Yeah. I think he was in the lineup and I thought he looked really cool because he's covered in tattoos, like all over his face. Oh, like uh, face tattoos as well. Yeah, um, and like I was, I think I was a teenager at the time, so I just thought he was really cool. And I remember I was at High Voltage and he walked past me and just randomly stuck his tongue out at me and made like a weird face. And that was the only time I've ever had any form of interaction with him since or prior. And I I just remember him as as Sticky Out Tongue Man from High Voltage. (laughs) Sticky Out Tongue Man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny now face tattoos have kind of been uh, adopted by all the mumble rappers now your oh post malones of the world and uh oh, yeah, probably you probably can't go to um any club without being asked when his uh eps drop in <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. No, give me a soundcloud link bro oh my goodness um no yeah it's, it's a really cool group i'm really excited about where they're gonna go with this music and obviously like they've got albert witchfinder who's a brilliant vocalist his vocals are so good on this album it's yeah. kind of um like I really, I'm really hit or miss with this style of clean vocal, but I think he does it really, really well. Um, and <laughs> he's Albert Witchfinder, and it's Friends of Hell. But it, the name Friends of Hell is actually the name of the second album by Witchfinder General. So it's like ah, a yeah. Witchfinder Witch Connections <laughs> in their music. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I love it. You know, and bands just just go all out with the puns and the <laughs> album titles and. <laughs> it's a, do you know what I was getting a bit of a, a King Diamond style yeah. vibe off the vocals and some of the music at times that's what I kind of really dug about the album it's quite a good blend of those different traditional sounds like you know that classic doom mm. and like that kind of like that epic like Candlemas style doom as well mixed with like you know more of like a new wave of British heavy metal kind of like aesthetic yeah. as well they've got those like dirty dirty riffs like the more evil style yeah. like modern like um what's the word what's what it's not intimidating it's like something it's something sinister sinister that's it yeah 
yeah and then like pagan altar style yeah. vocals as well but yeah the the king diamond when he's uh, into my coffin probably my favorite song on the album and it reminds me of coven's come to the sabbath yeah yeah it's like a really similar like choral structure for me it's probably my favorite song by that was a great track it was thrashier as well wasn't it it was like yeah. a, little bit, a little bit more theatrical and kind of charismatic it reminded me a bit of uh, have you ever listened to hell uk hell not it's... with the e on the end no, so this is just standard hell, but it's, it's got it's, this is Andy Sneap's band. Oh yeah. Um, before he went and started uh, kind of subbing in for uh, um, Tipton in Priest, um, and yeah, it has that same level of kind of like theatrics to it, and just that that kind of flair that you don't get too much in a lot of more modern metal. Because I think modern mm. metal either tends to be kind of quite sterile or a bit too serious sometimes. Yeah. Whereas like this has that old school kind of like I don't want to use the word cheesy, but just that 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 nostalgic kind of tried and tested formula that worked so well for that like those 80s and 70s bands back in the days totally and with yeah. a total modern production like it sounds fresh it sounds new like it doesn't sound sort of hackneyed and derivative of you know material that is kind of predated it that is well i don't want to say influenced it because it seems like a lot of members of this band were directly involved in creating the they music from those periods so yeah exactly totally i, I want to see him do like an alice cooper style stage show and like see them perform these songs. I'd really love that. I don't yeah, know if it's too cool. cheesy for them to do, but I'd love to see something like yeah, that. You've seen Alice Cooper live. Yeah, he's oh. so good live. I've heard it's meant to just be amazing. It's really, really, really good. His like live band is amazing as well. Like he has this guitarist called Orianthi and she's like fucking sick. Oh, but then cool. he's also got like people being decapitated and like prosthetics and just crazy stuff going on. Like he, he, I, I remember watching a documentary, I think when he first, he used to decapitate himself on stage and the first few times it caused like so much hoo-ha, which is funny because now we just do not care. Like you go on Instagram and you can see real life decapitated people. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> which is what we were doing before the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that's, that's, but it's the same time. It's not the same as it was back then in terms of the shock value, but now it's entertaining still. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's, um, what was the name of the Alice Cooper guitarist you mentioned? Orianthi. Okay. Because I remember he had the, uh, the other guitarist. Was it Nita Strauss was not Alice Cooper's guitarist for a bit? Orianthi was there too. Well, oh, you know that because only because she's done a lot of work with WWE recently. Oh, is um, it? So I've That's seen so her cool. name pop up quite a few times. Because uh, I think she's quite young. I think she's like my age. Um, well, young to me. <laughs> Probably old to some people. But Yeah, she's performed with Alice Cooper. So maybe this was a different era. She, oh my God, she used to rehearse with Michael Jackson. Oh, no way. Damn. That's cool. Damn, you must be good if Michael Jackson's choosing you. But yeah, but um, do you, know, that's, you touched on a good point. That's what's cool about this album, because I think there's so many retro elements to it, to the album cover, you know, the subject matter, the lyrical things. But I think, you know, it takes a truly skilled band or group of projects to, you know, keep those elements, which would have been probably, you know, more tiresome with a less skilled band and mm. project. So, yeah. And it's just, cause I think it's probably just genuine. It's obvious that they, they've just created the music that they wanted to create. And it was just more a project born out of love than anything else. Yeah. So um, it's quite interesting to find out they got a free album deal. Cause it would be cool to see what, how they go on from here. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same. I was reading, they did like an interview that they posted on the rise above website to go with like that album. So um, obviously something that like, things they want you to hear when you're kind of reading about them. Um, they say, like Taz says, lyrics are influenced by 70s horror movies, Satanism, death and torture. Pretty obvious if you look at the names like Into My Coffin, um, Bilal's Bell, Wallachia, Shadow the Impaler, etc. Um, and there's only a few paths. In our opinion, when you play heavy music, there's only a few paths you can go down with lyrics. We don't like personal stories or social political subjects in this kind of music we like dark and epic stuff on a grandoise level yeah. so it's very different from like like very different from Meshuggah let's put it like that which we're reviewing yeah. later which is yeah. very much social political yeah. um, lyrical subject matter so this is definitely like the opposite yeah and not your not your classic napalm death style uh... <laughs> yeah yeah I think there's a place for all of that in metal um but there's you know I I respect that opinion to a degree for sure um it's it's um it's a traditional they're like a traditional band it's a traditional approach and yeah. i think there's room for everything as long as you're not forcing other people out right yeah that's the thing right it's i think you know at the end of the day i think you know no one's stopping anyone from writing whatever it, whatever it is they want to write and mm -hmm. sing about 
But I think, you know, with the current climate, like the people need to understand that there is a large percentage of people getting into music who are looking for bands that are commenting on, on the shit that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, there is always going to be a, a percentage of people that connect far more, you know, intrinsically with bands that are more, you know, on the button with what's going on than bands. Because the thing is, it's just like, you know, like take power metal as a subgenre, for example. I know loads of people that don't listen to power metal just because oh, I just can't get past like the, the nonsensical, like lyrical matter or the subject oh, yes. matter. Yeah. And it's just, and I get that. But, you know, it's for me, I'm the sort of guy where like, I think as I've gotten older, I've diversified my tastes a bit and realized that, you know, that death metal is, death metal is still king. But it's not, you know, not Power the... Metal's your queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Power Metal's the jester, the court jester. But you mean, know, like, there's a time and place where I love Blind Guardian, um, I love Halloween, and, you know, and, they, and Halloween's got some absolutely ridiculous lyrics. They do. But, you know, it just depends on how I'm feeling, you know. And, they, yeah. and then, to your point, I think that's why it's good that there is bands doing different things and covering different areas of lyrical subject matter as, as well as different uh, musical directions as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, if King Diamond did an album that was a social political commentary on like the economic conditions of Thatcherite right Britain, I would be like, this is a bit weird. Yeah. You know, um, and maybe it would be amazing, actually. I, I kind of want to hear it. But like, there are days where, I mean, I think everything we do is always a reaction to our environment. And naturally, that's going to involve social political things. And sometimes that reaction is, I want to listen to songs about vampires and werewolves because I'm fucking sick of the economy and I'm sick of hearing about this shit that's going on in the world and that's fine and then other days you want to listen to some napalm death and that's totally cool too yeah there you go so listen to whatever you want yeah just do whatever the fuck you want just don't kill anyone um into my coffin is a banger it's a great track my favorite track is probably gateless gate and the the, the title um, kind of uh lured me in because i was thinking what is a gateless gate a gateless gate <laughs> I love it. What is that? It's it's gateless. And it's funny because guitarist John D or John Dix is also in Mercury Gates. That's another one of his bands. Oh, I did see that, yeah. When I yeah. was uh, looking up the um, the uh, encyclopedia of all that is metal. Encyclopedia metalum. Indeed. Um, but yeah, it's like, God, who, who is it that updates all those pages? Like, it's amazing. Like, like, people are on it, right? I So whenever, this is like kind of... A, a silly thing I do sometimes whenever I make like an announcement that involves something to do with the band I will sometimes check to see how quickly it's updated and it's updated literally within minutes sometimes it's, it's insane fucking odd it's so cool and like, it's not YouTube doing it is no, it no no I've no, no, never no. ever done it I've never yeah. I don't even know how to yeah. update it so I mean yeah like it's a mystery it's just amazing that there's all these like shadowy figures encyclopedying like yeah. recording and and filing away every action you do if you're a musician it's so cool i'm just picturing just the archetypal like metal nerd on like <laughs> this old computer like windows 98 yeah. just like still waiting for their mum to get off the call <laughs> so they could connect to the internet to update everything they've done an announcement i need the dial up yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's, um, I tell you what, that's one of my favorite games to ever play as well. It's on that website. You go onto Encyclopedia Metallum Metal Archives and you click random bands and then you just see where the fuck it takes you. Amazing. And there is some fucking gold out there. You just see some <laughs> of the greatest, cringiest band pictures and just some of the most hidden gems. Like they, they maybe released like an eight track cassette in the 80s and then that was it, disbanded. But they've got, it's just amazing. It's legendary. I just, I love that there are people whose passion is doing that. Like, it's great. Someone needs to be doing it because yeah. when we all die in a nuclear holocaust, there will be aliens that find metal archives and they will <laughs> go through metal archives and there'll be like children aliens in classrooms in another galaxy in two million years time going, so, um, yes, after birth, uh, had five men. Like, and they'll just be like studying all this shit. They'll be like, yeah, this band, like they fell out with their bassist and he like went away and it's just- they're, they're gonna to be the new gods to the new civilization yeah. they'd be, like, be like the dark lord vog from burton <laughs> no <laughs> dark lord yeah they'll think he's like some voldemort figure they'll think jk rowling is actually about the black metal Norwegian yeah. fucking... it's, um, oh, i've got oh. to do that one day just pick who would be like the, the metal gods you'd have obviously rob your know, rob halford your dime bags Ozzy. lemmy ozzy ozzy would be like the loki figure yeah yeah the court yeah. jester. <laughs> I'd add Michael Ackerfell in there just for. Oh, he he would be Balder, I think. Bowser. Balder. Oh, not Balder. Bowser. Like, <laughs> He's Bowser. <laughs> like, That's a strange segue. <laughs> no, who would Bowser? Bowser would be the guy from Testament. <laughs> what Chuck Billy? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking Dino Cazares personally, <laughs> but we're, we're thinking along the same lines. Yeah. <laughs> Who's Mario? Oh God. 
No clue. I fucking I'm drawn blanks here. Princess Peach is Euronymous. Yeah. <laughs> you know why? You know the picture. I'm that thick boy. To. Thick. But yes, Gateless Gate, my favorite track. Going back to this album, it's got a really really cool uber groovy section in about two minutes fifty seconds into the track. I'm a sucker for a palm muted riff. And just the rhythm section kind of going off. I love the drum work on this album as well. I nice, like when the, yeah. the drum keeps in time nicely with the bass. Bass is super audible as well. Like it's it's just grooving along great with the guitars. I think the, the, some of the guitar lines are absolutely fantastic. You yes. Know, nothing's yeah. overplayed. Everything's thought out and composed in a manner that is just totally fucking enjoyable. This album is just such a vibe. You just put it on and listen to it. Whereas like, it's almost like the antithesis to like a Meshuggah album. Yeah, in a way, it is. For some people, yeah. Because I feel like Meshuggah can be, and I mean this as a compliment, a chore at times of how mm. technically challenging they can be as a band, despite all their grooviness. Whereas like this, you could just stick on and just like have it as background music and just fucking vibe away on like a hot summer's day. Yeah, this is very summer music. I think, yeah, you're totally right. Meshuggah is like this cold, unfeeling, mechanical machine that will chew you up and spit you out. Whereas this is like a very tailored, evil approach. Like a very, um, it's going to come out, get you, like make you go in its coffin, fucking kill you, kill you real good. Whereas Meshuggah doesn't fucking care. It's like a convoyer belt of Delph. Of Delph? <laughs> of Delph? <laughs> I was going off of death, a conveyor belt of death. Um, yeah, this is great. I love this. This is evil. It's groovy. It's beastly and vampiric. Go and check it out. You will have a good time. I have written big cathedral, pagan altar, but eviler and duttier. <laughs> that's, 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 that, that's the South London and you coming out there. <laughs> Duttier. Dutty. Yeah, this is great. I love it. Um, thank you for this banger of an album. Shall we move on to Slate? Yes. So this is the album Goddess, also released this year. So in the band, you've got Oscar J. Fredrickson on vocals, guitar, and organ. Uh, all Burkholz on bass and vocals. Adam, he has a real name, but he, his name on Metal Archives is C.C. Squell, which I'm guessing... What some, is that? No idea. Couldn't find anything, but I'm guessing that's a pseudonym of some sort on drums. Okay. Uh, Anders M. Jorgensen on lead guitars and organ saxophone and synthesizers nice. uh, it was also mastered by uh, magnus lindberg as well so sort of the great the mastering guy. genius yeah yeah great so, guy you guys <laughs> should look into it <laughs> uh it's funny because we did that's the joke um, and uh, this is also so that they're from copenhagen denmark and this mm. is the first album on century media uh, my first exposure to this band was actually, uh, I saw them play live at Roadburn in 2019. No way. that's so cool. Um, yeah, they were, they were super, super cool, super tight, super energetic. Um, they're one of those bands that, in even though musically it's not similar to Midnight and Hell Ripper, but they are kind of doing a similar thing in the sense that they're combining a lot of the... Um, uh, kind of nuances and sounds of the classic heavy metal and speed metal sounds and kind of merging it with black metal. But they're doing it in a completely kind of more i'd say they're doing it in a more kind of cerebral fashion mm. as how kind of midnight and hell ripper are doing it because they are more kind of like you know bolts to the wall like you know just it's just more like a blackened motorhead basically whereas like slate are more i think with it's funny because when you listen to their discography they start as more kind of like a second wave almost like you know like worship band and progressively and progressively like the classic influences are becoming more and more prominent to the point where I feel like it's kind of culminated in this album. And what's cool about this album, which what I like, is that the production is a lot more janglier on this album than it is on the previous ones. So it's interesting to hear um, how those kind of like traditional sounds have been melded with the more extreme metal sounds in a manner that is just, you know, kind of discordant a lot of times. But, but I really, really like this album. I'm yeah. quite interested to hear what you've got to say about it. I really liked it a lot as well. Um, I think the production is like very masterfully done. Like, as you say, I think it's really interesting because normally I don't like music with that kind of shrill mid element to it. But something about this, like Fealty Thunder Whip, the, the riff at the beginning is so, so striking and unique to me. That's such a fucking catchy song as well. Yeah. Right there. yeah there's something about it. I, I can't put my finger on it. And there's like, yeah, you've got these really shrill, discordant guitars. And then counterintuitively, the vocals are like really low and like bassy but in a good way. It's like very resonant at the same time. And then everything else is around that. So the guitars are kind of at the forefront. They're almost like the vocals in a way. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but not all the time, obviously. I just really like, I really like that, that setup. 
that they've got going. It's unique to me. Yeah, because I, I feel like it's almost it almost sounds organic and live in the way the way it's been produced because every instrument kind of does stand out. Mm. You know, like you could like I feel that the drums are quite prominent in the mix. Yeah, which is good because the drumming is actually pretty like stellar on this album. Like there's a it's lot pretty. of shit going on. Like some great like ride and cymbal use and just some interesting kind of uh, uh, patterns he's playing. And and once again, yeah, similar to the Friends of Our album, I think the bass work is also super audible here as well. And uh, you know he's locked in tight with the drummer. And uh, also, you know, providing his own grooves while the guitars are off doing their own kind of like strange uh, spidery musings. <laughs> yeah, it's spidery. It's, um, yeah, it's really great. I mean, I think, my, I think this album kind of, and this is going back to a point I was making on the previous episode, I can't remember which one, but how I like when a band takes the time to think about how an album's going to be constructed and, you know, and like song placement and stuff. And I feel like really this album is all the other tracks are kind of just a build-up to the last track, the title track, Goddess, mm. which I think is far and away the best track on the album. Like, it's the longest track as well, because it's 11 minutes, but it's it's just such a perfect blend of all the styles of the previous tracks and previous albums and what they're going for just kind of merged into one. I think some of the leads on this track are just absolutely stunning. Like, about 450 minutes in, it's got some really, like cool emotive lead work and just some of my favorite guitar work on the album mm. and once again it's just i think it's that combination of like that new wave of british heavy metal and that 70s rock sound and those classic kind of you know early metal prototype uh stylings mixed with a more extreme um form of metal that really uh get me going much in the same way that enslaved do that's why i like enslaved so much because they they also like bands like enslaved and opeth do such a great job of um merging um their influences of the music they like and doing it in a way where they've created the sound that's uh unique to them yeah and it doesn't sound too disjointed because i think it's easy for stuff to sound like just a mishmash of styles and to just not sound good at all it's interesting because um like you're talking about the influences i really got a massive wishbone ash influence on this i can see that yeah because yeah. it's got yeah. the twin lead guitars yeah. um but they've obviously made it their own by making it really dissonant so it's kind of like um, like a sort of diminished fifth carcass approach, almost the way they've done it. So that I think that's the main thing. I think that's I finally put my finger on it after you said that. That's yeah. the thing I really like because yeah. those twin leads like really um, flesh out like the high shrill mids, and then like bring everything together. I think in a really interesting way. Like this this album feels like a fantasy novel to me. Yeah, the way it kind of plays out, and I love I love the song names. They're so fun. Like, Deceived by an Amethyst is such a good song name. I wish <laughs> I thought of it myself. It's so such a good name for a song. And then, like, the, like Stab It, Bloody Stab It is hilarious. <laughs> it's such yeah. a good name, too. And, yeah, Kiss from a Knife. Like, oh, that's so hardcore. I love that. Yeah, it's... um. You know what? It's funny you mentioned Carcass, actually, because I actually thought the vocal patterns were very Jeff Walker... Uh, yeah. ...kind of uh, inspired... Yeah, so, you know, even like even like the delivery, like you know, it's it's enunciate. All the words are enunciated quite well, and mm. it's not like too, um, like not too cartoonish the vocal styles. Um, but yeah, and just the the, word, the 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 phrasing and the placement and everything just totally reminded me of Carcass at times. Yeah, this is a real masterwork of an album. I really really enjoy this. Do you know which out which release it is? Because I remember looking on the metal archives and they had like quite a few releases, but like lots of EPs and things. Is it yeah, like the yeah. Third did, album? Uh, did the split with a band called White Meadow? I think that was when they first became quite prominent on the scene. And okay. you got Ills Vanger, which was their first album. Um, and then there was a couple more. Dom Mysterium was another one. Huh. Um, this is their, I want to say fourth full length. Okay. Um, but they had a great EP um, called <laughs> I forgot the name. Oh no! But the beautiful and the, the beautiful and the damned of what I got in my head. Luckily, I've already got their metal archives loaded up. <laughs> yes, I remembered beautiful and damned. Nice. It was just a short, like three, four track EP, huh. and like and that has like is absolutely lush. Like the production on that sounds absolutely amazing. And it's just like first time I listened to that, I was like, this is like. Iron Maiden mixed with black metal, but not the shit parts of Iron Maiden that I don't <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of Iron Maiden. I'm joking. Um, yeah, no. This, yeah, this is their fourth uh, fourth album release. Fourth. That's really good. Yeah, it's a great... I love this album. I think... I hope this gets them sort of... I don't know how big they are. Um, obviously, if they're playing Roadburn, they're not small. Yeah. 
but I feel like they this will deservedly make them more on the map than they already are. I think they're on the cusp because uh, this is the first release on Century Media, and I feel yes, like that is say. definitely a sign that you've got like a bit of backing or a bit of support from like uh, the big labels anyway and the scene at large. Like, because I don't think Century Media are in a position really where they're going to be taking a gamble on too many bands. Mm. Um, so um, it's be and it's always a tricky one, and I don't know if you found this, but like. In the UK, you kind of feel a little bit segregated from the rest of the European music scene, and you yeah. can never really gauge what's big uh, yeah. on the other side of the pond. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, like take a band like Volbeat, for example, they're fucking huge in it's Europe. Weird. They play stadiums, like they're like the biggest band. But like, um, but over here, like, you know, I mean, like there's probably a few people that know Volbeat, because I think they had a song on Guitar Hero once, so I think there's a few people. Huh? But they're, they're nowhere near as big here. This was on a Damnation podcast um, I was listening to a while back. He was talking to a booker and he was talking about how Volbeat, like they have to book completely different shows in, in the UK to the to Europe because of the difference in scale between like how many tickets they'll shift in Europe compared to the, the UK. And they're still big here as well though, right? Like they will still like, that mm. they will probably fill out, um, get some Wembley SSE here maybe. Yeah, but they don't, I don't think they get top billing here. Whereas no. they do, I think in Europe. Well, I, this was, I think, to do with maybe download. Like, they're billing on, like, a festival. I mean, like, they're not going to necessarily headline a main stage here. Yeah, I've always thought that Bloodstock would maybe take a punt on them one day, but I'm not even sure if they could even afford them. Because, I mean, frankly, because, I mean, you know, they, they get such amazing shows in the Europe where they're you know, playing, like, massive capacity venues. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, going back to my point, I feel like, you know, it's hard for us to have our fingers on the pulse a lot of the times about, you know, how a band is doing because we can only really gauge on how well-received they are in the UK. Yeah. And the thing is, us living in London, we get everyone coming to London. So, like... And London, London crowds are so reserved compared to european crowds as well are they see i don't have any experience in european crowds so i don't know you will uh, see yeah, yeah, yeah. european crowds are amazing yeah. um they're um not that and there's nothing wrong with the uk crowd but london crowd is a lot more reserved um i would say i mean obviously it depends on the genre but if you go outside of london crowds generally are more positive yeah. and like more expressive and then in europe like everyone just will come up and talk to you and talk to each other and it, the vibe is very different i found in european yeah. music spaces yeah because that's interesting you say that because i find uh, my limited experience in new york when i went to that gig i thought they that's were probably very different no i thought they were super reserved there really so like what you were saying about london that's how i felt about new york i was expecting wow. to see some crazy shit when i went to um name that Fucking venue. St. Vitus Bar. Not St. Vitus. It's a famous one, and I can never remember the bloody name to it. It's where At The Gates performed. Madison like, Square Garden? It wasn't. It definitely wasn't Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I don't know. That's the only two venues I know in New York. <laughs> that, would have been, that would have been the most <laughs> underbooked <laughs> show of all time. <laughs> Enslaved at Madison Square Garden. That would have been amazing. Yeah, I'd go. I'd go, yeah. Fuck it. would be sick. It's, um, oh, it's going to come to me eventually, but I'm, I'm not even going to try and waste any more time trying to remember it. But it was... Um, I'm, I'm actually still trying to remember it. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. But it was... But yeah, no, they were super reserved. And I was just like, fuck, there's a, these guys are even more like fucking... like reserved than a, than a London show because <laughs> I do know that London is can be yeah I mean it's a bit snooty in it we get we get all the bands coming through so you know, we've seen it all we've done it all not always I mean like last time I saw Sleep there was a fucking mosh pit so yeah. um, it depends on the day as well like who's coming I guess I don't know I don't want to like shit talk all of London despite the fact that we're Londoners but um, yeah like it's night and day yeah. between here and Europe and if, I'm, I think a lot of bands who tour will say the same thing no. I've heard, yeah. No, I remember the name of it. It'll, it'll come to me eventually. I'll recall it in the in a the, the future episode. I'll you'll be, be halfway through a meal, and then you'll just be like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's such a famous venue as well." But I can't fucking remember the name of it. But such is my life. The Carnegie Hall. No. <laughs> just. Uh, but it's um, no, it's. Um, I will say, like, I'm. If this band, if, if Slate ever decides to come through London again, like, I'll definitely be going to watch them because I feel like uh, they've done a great job with this album, and I think that it's. Uh, they seem to be going down uh, the same route as bands like Enslaved and Opeth and other bands that are finding a, a niche in their fusion of genres and yeah. kind of settling into it. And I feel like this is the first album where they've really settled into it. Um, whereas like, you know, like the albums before has been more like a transition and uh, experimentation of different 
sounds and influences. So, so I'm excited. Hell yeah. I hope we get to catch them live. Um, maybe they're playing help us. I maybe. I mean, everyone is. Get a magnifying I mean. glass and check the lineup. <laughs> yeah. I tried to look at it the other day and I was thinking like, oh fuck, I can't, I can't read this. I think they made another announcement because I've seen a bunch of, uh, of bands like recently over the past few days be saying they're on it. So yeah, hopefully soon we'll have another oh, wave. Nice. Yeah. I think the things as well, it's one of those things where obviously there's still a lot of logistical and, um, <laughs> just many issues in the in, around the world at the moment that prevent people from touring so yeah. even if half the people pull out at Hellfest it's still going to be the best lineup <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no it'll just, just be like... easier to plan if yeah. that happens so not the end of the world and I'm sure they'll just like you know announce some more local bands instead yeah, yeah. should we move on to Meshuggah let's... and Immutable let's do it let's do it what did you think of this so um I'll speak a little bit about my first experience with Meshuggah because like the first album I listened to theirs which um, I actually struggled to get into was uh, Chaosphere no way which is I think probably I'm not sure if it's the heaviest album I think it's the most intense album so it's probably the most mechanical one um, and for the longest time and I've, I've spoken to many people who've had a similar experience with this band I think for, for someone that's untrained and not skilled as a musician or music theory, it takes a while for your brain to kind of click with what the fuck has gone on with this band. And it was like that with me as well. So I was thinking like, th these riffs sound cool, but my brain can't comprehend it. Okay. But then when it does click, it's kind of like, it's like then the penny drops. Uh-huh. And it clicked with me when I went back and um, uh, picked up their, well, I was going to say the first album, but it's actually their second album, Destroy, Erase, Improve. Was the first album is kind of like the incarnation of the bands that they are still kind of like now, you know, like the the prog uh, progenitors of a uh, gent. I hate that term. I hate it so much. Just, 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 it's not a genre. Uh, I mean, it, it, it technically is. It, is. it I said, but ah, this isn't a gent podcast. Fuck it. We're no. not going <laughs> to. Yeah. But no, nah, but I listened to a Destroy, Raise, Improve, and it uh, blew my mind, especially the track Future Breed Machine. Like, remember when we were that listening to that? That is such a uh, good track. So yeah. fucking, that breakdown is ridiculous. Oh my God. Like, uh, it's, so and I've heavy. said this before, it was one of those times where, like, it was just so intense, I had to pause it, and I was just like, I had Oh, bless so you. So my adrenaline spike. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, so I, need, I need to be in a more uh, aggressive mind. They do, they do make you aggressive. This track. Yeah. But yeah, and, and ever since then, they've always been a band that I've followed. Um, not not too much, though. Not like so much with the last few albums. Like, yeah, same. Uh, like The Violent Sleep of Reason. Um, I've got their band come up just to make sure I'm getting it. Was that 2018? Right. That's the 2016 album. 2016? So, oh, my God. So did this. That enjoyed it. It's. I feel like there's two eras of Meshuggah. You've got like the earlier era, which is like a little bit more kind of like uh, progressive and like experimental when they were kind of finding their feet a bit. Mm. And I feel like once they released nothing and they saw how well received, like, like the grooviness was, that's where they kind of stuck with that sound. And they've kind of been going along that kind of wavelength since. And it's funny because they actually re-recorded nothing, didn't they? With a seven string guitar. So I think it was originally played on six strings and they recorded it with seven strings, but I've never listened to the other version. I've listened to the original version but not the seven string one. But I know people lost their shit for the seven string one. And I think that was kind of like the birth of Gent hmm. and everything. I could be, and I probably am fucking up I don't know. all my facts there. I don't but know. that's what I have buried in my mind from I when just, it came out. To me, it's just like, well, like, I, uh, yeah, I'm not a guitarist, but it's like, you can still play the same notes on the guitar. It's just in a different position. Play nine strings, huh? Wow. Do well done. Fuck. Nine strings. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Well done, Meshuggah. <laughs> Pat on the back. You can play lots of strings. But um, but this album in particular, so I will say for the record, uh, Immutable. I love this album. I love everything Meshuggah's ever done. Yeah. Um, I think this is a definitely a, a very worthy addition to their back catalogue. Uh, and they've still got basically the core lineup. It's still got Jens Kidman on vocals, Frederick Thordendal, the, the wizard on guitars. They've still got uh, Harker? Thomas Harker, just the absolute fucking... Chef's kiss of... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just... I, lo I love listening to drums and I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, <laughs> my favorite clip, you ever seen Bill Burr talking about going watching Meshuggah live? 
and he's just he's just losing his mind. He's talking about the track Bleed, of course. That's I mean, so cute. But he's, he's just trying to des- describe what he's doing. He's like, he's playing like one beat with his hands and then a different beat with his feet. And it's just, <laughs> he's just totally losing it. But it's, uh, yeah, and you've got Martin Hagstrom on guitars. He's been a long-time member. And even uh, uh, Dick Lovgren. Sounds like a porn star name, doesn't it? That's a good porn star name. <laughs> he's been the bassist since the IEP. So that's, you know, that's coming up to about 18 years as well. So, uh yeah, so I think um, it's funny because when a band's got such a uh, um, sort of steadfast lineup, I think it's easy for them to just be releasing an album that's kind of by the numbers and mm. a bit boring. But I do think that, you know, fans of Meshuggah will definitely love this album. And I feel like, you know, especially of the groovier Meshuggah style. And there's some great moments on this album. And uh, I've been talking way too much. So it's time for you to tell me what you think you about this album. You can talk as much as you like. This is the space for it. Um, but I will tell you my experience with Meshuggah as well. They were so I, they were my favorite band for a very long time when I was a little person at the age of 14, 15, which is when I got into them. The first band short, short? The first band shirt. I don't have any band shorts. The first <laughs> band shirt I ever bought was a Meshuggah shirt. So they have a special place in my heart. It was in Metal Militia in Camden. It was 20 pounds, so fucking expensive. Um, but I still have it. And it still looks new because I very rarely actually wear my band shirts because they're so unflattering. However, I love I love Meshuggah. They're one of the first bands I ever interviewed as well. Oh, nice. I was shitting bricks um, before I interviewed them. And it went really well. We talked about World of Warcraft. So I always think of them as friendly World of Warcraft people playing their dwarves in Azeroth. Um, So I'm guessing they were Horde then, were they? they? I I actually think one of them was Alliance. The guy I talked to, which is surprising, I can't remember. I, I hope I've not accidentally um, libeled Meshuggah by saying that they play Alliance, but I feel like um, maybe corpse grinders they... coming for them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Alliance is fun to play, but you always pick Horde. Come on, it's Horde is better. Anyway, um, so yeah, they're really, really nice guys. They're really lovely. Um, I love their music so fucking much, and like, it's interesting hearing you talk about. Um, them not clicking straight away because Meshuggah clicked with me immediately. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But I mean, I, I was like, I've always been quite musical. So maybe that's part of it. It was like really interesting for me to listen to. It was like juicy immaterial. Um, I didn't like, I don't tune out, especially the early Meshuggah years. Whereas, yeah, I think because they were my favorite band for such a long time, it would, it had already, I'd already been into them for like over a decade by the time Violent Sleep of Reason came out. So I wasn't, I don't know why, but I didn't listen to it. Yeah. So this is the first Meshuggah album I've listened to in like 10 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. But it's good because I needed a reason to rekindle my love for them because yeah. I've always liked them. I always like what they do. I like that they're not just doing a 4-4 beat all the time because that is my pet peeve when it comes to the majority of music. Um, so it's nice they're doing something different. I like the groove. I like that they're groovy as well. That That's the thing with Gent that sometimes... I do actually like a lot of Gent. Um, I won't admit it normally, but they do sometimes forget that you're supposed to enjoy the music yeah. that you're listening to um, with that genre. So yeah, Meshuggah, like the big the big daddy of the good, groovy, interesting music. Yeah, no, no the big, no, that should be on the next uh, <laughs> little sticker you get in front of the album of vinyl. <laughs> the big daddies of groove. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, and do you know what, in this album in particular, they are doing a lot of interesting shit as well. Like I do like that they do like to, you know, keep it fresh. There's even with the, I think me and Shem were actually talking about this. There's that little uh, two minute interlude called Black Cathedral, which is basically like a black metal <laughs> like track. <laughs> Sounds like something off like a, of a Nagura Bunget album. How the fuck you pronounce that band name? Probably butchered that. <laughs> um, I use those to unblock my toilet. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that was just really cool. And like, you know, they are the masters, in my opinion, of repetition. Because, yeah. you know, like, yeah, and this is a long album. It clocks in at like an hour and six minutes. And, you know, you, you've got to really stay the course with a Meshuggah album. Like it's, yeah. but it's a rewarding listen, you know, by the masters of repetition. What I mean by that is they're so good at, you know, finding a particular groove or rhythm that works really well and making you wait before they make that transition. And they develop or, it. Or kick it up a gear. And, you know, like the tracks, there's two tracks in particular that I think are great examples of that on this album, like Abysmal Eye, the second track on the album, and Kaleidoscope as well. I thought that was a great track. Yeah. Like, I love the way, like, because you know they're such technically, they're so technically proficient. So you know when they switch it up that it's gonna hit super fucking hard, mm. and you know, and it's almost like you're, you're when you listen to a track and they've been playing the same 
beaten groove for sometimes three, four, five minutes. And you're just thinking, you're just there. And you love the groove. You're thinking, you're just patiently waiting for, the, for it to hit. <laughs> and then it does. And it's just even more rewarding. Yeah, I like that they give you a little break um, halfway through with the instrumental. They move by the It's just to kind of like help you cleanse your palate before they throw you straight into the abyss again. Yeah, no, and it, it's, it's actually welcomed, especially when the album clocks in at that length, because yeah. you know, you're going to need a few breathers just to kind of recuperate a bit, which is why I enjoy uh, Frederick Thordendale's guitar solo so much as well, because it's so, it's 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 just so cool to have such a pummeling rhythm section. That you get this like jazzy, like yeah. spidery guitar solo coming in, and it's just he's it, got that sound just down to such a, it's such a unique and identifiable guitar sound. And it's have you ever listened to his side project? Actually, what's it called? It's called uh, Frederick Thordendale's Special Defects. No, I've not. That's a very specific side project. But name. it's but yeah, it's just him doing crazy shit on the guitars. But That's it's, cool. it's, it's it's worth listening to. It's good fun. I think he's released two albums. Sick. But, could be wrong, but it's uh, but yeah, I just love the fact that um, you can tell that they they think about how they craft uh, the wall of sounds on on each track, and it's um, yeah, just even the first track as well kind of reminds me. Um, it was more of an intro than anything else. Broken Cog, which mm. is a great name for a sugar track. Yeah, kind of reminded me a bit of. Um, you ever listened to a Bruheria? Uh, I'm not because I don't know. Why. <laughs> I just, just haven't. Well, they're like a, they're like a gimmicky kind of band. They're like a super group. They've had like um, I think, was Bill Steer in Bahia at one point? Really? No, no, no. Jeff Bill Walker. Steer. Sorry, Jeff, like, Wa- Jeff Walker was in there. Dino oh, Cazares. Um, wow. But they pretend to be like members of the Mexican cartel. That's like their gimmick. Oh my god. But but there is a Mexican person. Okay. Is Juan Brujo is the vocalist There's who is Mexican. One Mexican person. But anyway. <laughs> what, what that band is all about aside they had an album called Brujerismo and the first track on that album sounds exactly like this track Broken Cog like the groove is so similar this is just like a more syncopated like polyrhythmic version that's so funny of the title track on Brujerio uh, Cog yeah Okay, thank God. All right, that's like that's like if Lowen, if you guys just all started pretending to be Mullers or something. I don't know if you all just started wearing like. What? <laughs> yeah, Shane Embry's been in it from the beginning. That's amazing. So, who are the Spanish people? It's <laughs> so a vocalist, I think. <laughs> the other ones. Okay, that's a crazy super group. <laughs> Shem, you can stop using the accent now. <laughs> Uh. but yeah broken cog listen to that listen to <laughs> listen to us problematically outing ourselves on this podcast Ooh. yeah it sounds like Bruheria okay that's what I'm getting at <laughs> that's the uh, that's the long and skinny of the point I was making <laughs> I don't want to oh god to the weird polyrhythms um, I think I'm in a nightmare scenario now. I have some some um, takes on the lyrics of this album that I shared with you guys earlier. So, Meshuggah have a song, the 12th song on the album called Armies of the Preposterous. I'm going to read the lyrics and uh, you'll see. A pandemic, this contagion you embrace, the poison that seeps from your piteous souls, armies of the preposterous trapped in misguided fraud. Your mere existence shames us all. I will never assimilate to your point of view. I see your vision, this bleak truth you contrive. Plandemic? That's not a lyric, but plandemic? That seems to be kind of what they're, they're yeah. going for there, doesn't it? Uh, I, I can only interpret that as thus, um, personally. So that's a lyric that they put in their album on the track Armies of the Preposterous, which I assume is about people who believe the virus is real. Potentially. Obviously, it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's, I will say that's probably my favorite track on the album. <laughs> <laughs> musically, that is by far the most interesting track. I think um, it's probably the one they were committed to the most. <laughs> but yeah, which is unusual because it is like what, it's technically the last track on the album because the, the last track, Past Tense, is just more of a, like a clean, jazzy uh, mm. outro more than anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I suppose uh, who knows? Maybe someone will interview, uh, interview, interview, interview uh, Jens Kidman at some point. Yeah. Maybe ask him what it's all about. Maybe he can confirm it. If he can get into the country um, yeah. with his unvaccinated status, I guess. But then, actually, I don't know because I don't think Jens actually does the, the lyrics. Who does the, the lyrics? They, I think they share duties. Oh. I, I seem to have it in my mind that Thomas Harker 
Yeah, I always thought it was Harker. In my head, it was Harker. I was like, damn, Harker, I didn't know you... Uh... Um, I don't know, I'm just loading up this for a second because I feel like it might be noted on uh, online. But Yeah. Uh... Lyrical duties ish. Yeah, so Yan Kidman's not involved in lyrics at all, if we're going by Encyclopedia Metallum. It's shared by um by Martin and Thomas. Okay, well, there you go. They um that's that's the song and that's what's in the song. So yeah, I mean, um not my point of view at all. Not into that kind of thing, but I thought I would mention it's in the album so people know. Yeah. It's uh, you've seen it become an issue with some bands. So I mean, that's what yeah. they're kind of hinting. That's what happened to the Opeth drummer, right? Yeah, it's happened to a lot of drummers actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the drummers. <laughs> but it's um, yeah, it's, I think it just goes to show that you know that the, the every, every, well one for the first start, like everyone knows that obviously the virus is still a threat. I mean, everyone can see that there's still so many cases out there. Most people can. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, I think it just goes to show that really, and I don't want to sound too kind of black-pilled or pessimistic here, but I do think like things are far from over. Yeah. Like I think, you know, there's a lot of people who I think who are presuming that things are back to normal. And I'm thinking, like, I don't think anything could really go back to normal after what's been happening. I think, you know, it's more wishful thinking at this point to think that, you know, I look at some lineups to festivals, even Hellfest, I'm thinking like, half these bands. how the <laughs> fuck are all these bands going to get here? <laughs> yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it just seems a logistical nightmare. And I feel sorry for organizers of these festivals because, I mean, it would have taken years off my life to be dealing, knowing that this is your main source of revenue as well and income to, for everything to be in such jeopardy. And obviously, obviously, things were canceled for good reason. I'm not saying it wasn't. But it's uh, it's just been a fucking mental two years. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, judging by, um, you know, like lyrics on this album and, you know, certain stances of other people, it just shows that, you know, that it's just just such chaotic times out there and there's so much information and misinformation and yeah. like it's and i think this is where you know the online climate can be a really toxic place sometimes because you're going to get echo chambers for whatever it is you believe and you know you're going to have enough you know if you shout into the void there's always going to be someone shouting back at you and you know and there's just it's just uh, that's why I'm fucking done with twitter but the reason i'm done with twitter is because the internet wrestling community is on fire at the moment and um, I just, I'm just fucking done with um, different companies bashing each other. You're putting them on ice. Yeah, I am. They're just, I'm just fucking done with it. Just Twitter's just so negative a lot of the time, and like it does have some good in it. But I just, I don't know. Maybe uh, I'll get a TikTok finally. Twitter's like, oh, you should totally get TikTok. It's sure. great. I know everyone keeps telling me. Yeah, TikTok is is definitely the antithesis of Twitter, which is why Shem is shaking his head because he's more of like a Twitter vibe. I go on Twitter when I'm kind of annoyed because it's such a perfect format to complain with because it's like sure you can just complain and then you open it again and like five angry men are explaining to you why you're wrong which is great um but yeah i mean i could totally understand why like i obviously don't agree with this stance but i can see why a lot of musicians end up thinking this way feeling so strongly about the pandemic because it affects them so much because everything you do as a musician is about people being wanting to come to your shows, being available to consume your music. The best way to do that is to be able to go to different countries, meet all these people, play all these shows, so many tours being canceled. If you're a band of that level, you're at some point in an album cycle. So obviously it's it's completely fucked over so many people. So I totally understand why they'd be so angry and why they'd be so passionate about it. I think, you know, that can, sometimes it's easier to go down a particular path when you're in that situation. And sometimes it's easier to believe things aren't necessarily real or to believe you've been wronged somehow um by people following like the news and like i totally i think people can mix up being angry at the obvious corruption around them and mixing that with something else yeah. and then it actually accidentally backfiring <laughs> and making the problems worse and i think compounded by the fact that you know Let's be honest, most people in power are not trustworthy at all. Yeah, they're all corrupt. I so mean, this just, government is like literally laughing at us, and having parties and laughing at us. Yeah. And that's something everyone can agree on. Like, yeah. Is the fact that, you know, like most fucking um, people in charge of, you know, multinational, you know, corporations and stuff like that are just fucking just terrible people. Yeah. And like the, the structure of our economy is just wrong. It doesn't yeah. work. It's yeah. destroying the things that are the most important for our survival and yet we're still doing it because we have 
uh, like us little people, we're a broken cog. Like we have no choice, right? Yeah. yeah. We're just part of this giant dissonant rhythmic grooving grinding beast machine. Of a machine. So it we're turns living out in chaos fear by Meshuggah. <laughs> we were the Meshuggah album all along. <laughs> <laughs> it's like is, is it cake? It was just like <laughs> we were we were Meshuggah Are all we along. Meshuggah? We just yeah. start taking off our skin. <laughs> we're all Thomas Harker. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I could probably pass for Jens Kidman actually. I've got the same yeah, yeah. I have to Google them. But I, I probably can't do his vocals. He is the master of the fry str- fry scream. By the way, nice. I, mean, I respect the fact that that guy found a vocal style. I'm just like fuck it. This is all I'm going to do for my career. <laughs> One tone, <laughs> like a bit of clean vocals. Like they don't have as because sometimes uh, I think Frederick used to do backing vocals. Yeah, like, you know, like the robotic things that he would synthesize through like an amp or something. That's super cool. Like there's not much of that on this album or any. If I, remember correctly but like yeah Jens Kidman just that man he's just like fuck it I'm just gonna fucking just absolutely fry my vocals every single album but it sounds fucking cool and he's the best at fried screaming so have you seen the faces he makes when he performs he's an amazing front man just I just the... love the weird thing he does with his mouth where he looks like <laughs> a meme where he's just like I can't do it just the fucking stance as well just like yeah yeah that was it yeah Shane's got down to a T it's so funny you should be a wrestler and they're so fucking good live as well like you can't talk about sugar and not talk about how absolutely phenomenal they are as a live band the fact they do that live is mind-blowing basically yeah. yeah and it just sounds amazing the lights the production everything i saw their 25 year anniversary tour amazing. at the roundhouse which was in 2014 and they played it was like a two hour set and i got a fucking banging headache by the time i left but, <laughs> i bet it's like but, a migraine yeah. yeah but i was just like fuck it it was worth it because it was just like and it was funny because and i think i still i don't mean to sound like an insult but everyone was so energetic and by the end everyone was just punished <laughs> We were just there like fucking hell. Just like we were enjoying it, but so cathartic. We're just like, oh my God, I'm glad it's over because that was just so rhythmically torture. intense. <laughs> That's but... what she said. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't even know I was uh, fucking <laughs> saying anything remotely sexual. I'm so there. sorry. Perhaps it wasn't, but just there's something about that phrase. Well, I was hard me. at that show. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> on that note we should probably end the podcast so we can all calm ourselves down <laughs> to that talk of of the rhythmic pounding of Meshuggah um, the evil uh, fucking craziness of Friends of Hell and the shrill um, theatrics of Slate so thank you for watching feel free to like and subscribe and thank you for listening and uh, suggest any album stars that you want us to review always open for suggestions hell yeah absolutely Thanks and goodbye. Till next time.